0: Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. Welcome to Trinity Church. My name is DJ. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, I will face down one of the great uh, challenges in the life of any pastor, and that is the day after thunder. Uh, Can I keep you all awake after a day of sun-soaked revelry and staying out till after midnight? Can I keep myself awake after a day of sun-soaked revelry and staying out after midnight? Challenge accepted. I'm going to be opening up the word this morning, leading us in our study of the book of Ruth. So if you have a copy of the Bible, uh, turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 22 this morning. Uh, if you did not get a listening guide on your way in, a little sheet of paper, Alex has those in the back. So if you would slip up your hand and he can make sure that you get one. Uh, Ruth 1, 19 through 22, continuing our series in Ruth that we've entitled Hope Finds a Home. And as we look at the text this morning, we're going to be talking about suffering. There is quite possibly no topic more uncomfortable for Christians in, modern, in the modern Western world to deal with than suffering. When a friend is going through a trial, whether it's death, divorce, grave illness, the loss of a loved one, we often don't know what to say, how to, to speak, how to be a comfort, what we should even feel in those instances. I mean, think about it. I want you to imagine you're going through your day tomorrow. It's a pretty good day even. The weather is actually nice. We finally turned to spring. Work is going well. You're having a great time. And you pass somebody, you see that friend that you haven't seen in quite some time, and you say, hey, how's it going? And they don't respond with one of the approved answers. Great, good, even not bad. Okay, no, they, they pause for a moment. Uncomfortable, it, it, you can tell that, that they're not quite sure what to say and actually actually, not, not too great. My, uh, my sister just died this morning. I just found out. Silence. That'll break the rhythm of your day. That'll cause you to stumble for words yourself. I, I, I wasn't expecting you to actually say something. I wasn't expecting you to actually answer that question. What do you say to someone like that? What comfort can you give in a situation like what, what, what comfort could there be in a situation like that? Now we're good Christians who reject the prosperity gospel, so we all know up here that being a follower of Christ does not exempt us from suffering. We're going to experience it. Christ said, "They persecuted me; they will persecute you also." We know that the road that God calls us to walk is marked by suffering. But if we're completely honest, we are much more comfortable living under the umbrella of hashtag blessed than we are under suffering, under sickness, under emptiness, sadness. And it's it's because of that that I want to spend some time this morning introducing us all to a woman named Naomi. Now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks as we started our study, uh, Pastor Dave and Pastor Tom, they've introduced Naomi to us. And we've met her, we've gotten to see her life, and honestly, we have watched her life disintegrate before our very eyes. Over the last couple of weeks. As a famine swept through the town of Bethlehem. And she followed her husband away to a pagan land in search of food. Her sons married pagan women. They didn't produce children over a span of ten years. And then her husband and her sons died. Leaving her alone in a foreign land, penniless, with two widowed daughters-in-law as her only companions. No prospects for a future. No hope. Today, we're going to see Naomi finally hit rock bottom. The story bottoms out at the end of chapter one today. We're going to see just how far into darkness her soul has been plunged. And we're also going to see a wondrous truth. When we are in Christ, even the very darkest moment of our lives is pregnant with the hope of unimaginable glory. If you take nothing else from from this morning's message, this is what I want you to hit. I want you to see, to look this woman full of suffering and despair and hopelessness. I want you to look her square in the eye in our text today. And I want you to understand that everything she's feeling is true. The Bible doesn't brush it off. It doesn't ignore it. It looks it dead on, but it says that is not all there is. That's a truth for her. And it's a truth for us as we walk through this life, wherever it may lead us. So join me in Ruth chapter 1 as we read together verses 19 through 22, and then we'll continue in our study. Word of God says, So the two of them, Ruth and, and Naomi, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? at the beginning of barley harvest. That's God's word for us this morning. Let's pray as we continue. Our God and Father, we ask this morning that what we know not, you teach us. What we have not, you give us. What we are not, you make us. By the power of your spirit and to the praise of your glorious grace, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So last week, Naomi decided to return home. We pick up with that homecoming here in verse 19. But if you were here last week, or if you read back just a couple of verses, you'll see that after 10 years, 10 years after her sons have died, word comes that that the Lord has visited his people in Bethlehem and brought them food. The famine that drove them away from their hometown has, has ended. And there is food again in Bethlehem, the house of bread. It's the translation of Bethlehem. The house of bread has bread in it once more. And so Naomi decides, I'm going home. And if you remember, she, she pled with her daughter's-in-law, with Orpah and with Ruth, you go home to your families. Go home to your father's houses. There is nothing for you where I'm going. I am a widow." You are widows. I have nothing that I am going home to. I cannot promise you or provide you with husbands, with a hope, with a future. And eventually she, she convinces Orpah to go home, to return to her home, to her family, to her parents. But Ruth clings to her. And we saw last week this beautiful declaration from Ruth that I will not be parted from you by anything other than death. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. This amazing hope from this most unlikely of places, this pagan woman from a foreign land. And so here we are at the beginning of this chapter and Naomi and Ruth are arriving back in Bethlehem. Naomi back home, Ruth in a place that she's never seen before. And Naomi, put yourself in her shoes here for a minute. It's been 10 years since, since she's been home, but she's coming home. She's probably dreamed of this day over and over throughout the years. I mean, and any of you who have lived in one place for a long time and then moved away and then had an opportunity to go back it's special isn't it to see people you haven't seen in a long time to see places that trigger memories of times when God has been good to you Naomi I'm sure was ready to go home but she had no good news to return with she is coming home empty And notice the scene as she arrives back in Bethlehem in 19. So much has changed. So much calamity has befallen Naomi that the people aren't even necessarily sure it's her at first. Right? When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Now think. When when she left, there were four of them. It was her, her husband, their two sons. Now, now, she's coming back without them and with only a foreigner that nobody's ever seen before. Who's this woman that's with her? Is, is, that, is that Naomi? And the whole town is stirred up. Now, Bethlehem was not exactly a bustling metropolis. Like this is one of those towns where everybody knows everybody, everybody knows everybody's business. And so all the people that Naomi's coming home to would have known her, would have known her story, would have known why she left and would have known something's gone horribly wrong just simply by appearance. Imagine the shock. Imagine the hushed questions. Where's where's Elimelech? Where are the boys? Who who is that girl with her? She brought a Moabite woman back? What on earth happened? What what are they going to say to her? Was God judging her for her family's flight to Moab? Was this all coming down upon her head as an act of divine retribution? What comfort can they offer? And what can Naomi say? Think about, think about this. Think about your Naomi. You're walking in. The last thing she probably wants to do is retell this story over and over and over. Because every person that asks those questions, it's going to be a rehearsal of the death of her husband, of the death of her sons, of the loss of everything that she held dear. She's coming back, but she's coming back to a world where she's going to have to relive the 10 plus years of suffering all over again. She's empty. She's back from a prodigal's journey, but whether it was by her own choosing or not, she's coming back to a situation she never would have chosen for herself. She never would have picked. She never would have hoped for. And she has very little hope for the future. And yet, even here, she is not hopeless. She may be coming back empty, it may be an empty homecoming, but she is not without hope for the future. Now, we're going to see a glimmer of hope in verse 22. And then next week, as we get into chapter 2, God is going to bust this thing wide open in Naomi's life. But even here, before any of that, I want you to notice this. Naomi's at rock bottom. Everything she loves has been stripped from her. She is empty. She is bitter as we're about to see. She is hopeless. But Ruth is a four-chapter book, and this is chapter one. God is not done. That's one of the great temptations when we are going through suffering is to think that my present situation, dark and bleak as it is, is the end of my story, is the culmination of my journey. God says, Christian, That is not true. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are following after him, there is no situation you will find yourself in. No deep pit of suffering where you will be able to say, this is the end of my story. This is the end of my lot. Hope is promised. Don't live immersed in the present But fix your eyes on God's future promises. This is what scripture calls us to do all throughout. If we read through the New Testament letters, there is this constant theme, especially in Paul's writing, of fixing our eyes on a future hope of what God has promised to us. And we're going to get into the specifics of those promises here shortly. But just think about that kind of living as we look at a passage like Hebrews chapter 10 that says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's a very, very small glimmer of that faith that's drawn Naomi home. Right? She's come home with almost no hope, but she heard word of food in Bethlehem, and she came back. She walks by faith, coming back home. And the word to us this morning, even in the depths of our emptiness is that we walk by faith in the promises that God has given and his promises that we will never be left in our darkest moment. But let's look deeper. We've seen the depths of Naomi's situation. Now I want you to look into the depths of her soul. Let's hear from her. What is she feeling? What is her lens through which she views all of this right now? We're going to see the depths of just where she has sank to. The people wonder in bewilderment, "Is, is this Naomi? And Naomi says that she's really not Naomi anymore. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The irony here is that the name Naomi means pleasant, and Naomi feels anything but. How can that be true of me anymore? And so she suggests that they call her Mara, which means bitter. Think back to the scripture reading that that Todd read for us this morning about the place where bitter water flowed from the rock. They called it Mara. Mara means bitter. And Naomi says, that's my name. That fits better now. That is my identity. That is who I am. That is what God has made me. God has dealt bitterly with her. He has dealt her a bitter lot. Now, this isn't the first time she's talked of bitterness, right? Think back to last week, and we heard her say that it was bitter to her. It was bitter to her because Orpah and Ruth had gotten caught up in what God was doing in her life, right? If we look back in verse 13, she says, talking to to Orpah and Ruth, would you therefore wait till they were grown, speaking of hypothetical sons, even if she were to have them right now, would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. It is bitter to me for your sake. I I can't bear it for you. And so here she talks of bitterness again, but I want you to notice the subtle difference in her statements here. Because back then she was talking about her feelings. It is bitter to me that you are caught up in this. Another translation could be, it grieves me that you, are, that you are caught up in this, that, that you have been suffering because of what the Lord has brought upon me. She's noting that her circumstances have, have made her feel this way. But here in verse 20, she says that God has dealt very bitterly with her. Here she's saying, it is my situation itself that is bitter, not just how I feel about it. She's moving from the realm of subjective into objective reality, right? This is a bitter lot that I have. She notes that she went away full and has been brought back empty. Now we might think at first, you know, well, she didn't go away that full. It was a famine that drove them from the land, they left in desperation. But she had her husband, she had her sons, she had the fullness of the family that God had given her, and now that's gone. It's been stripped away. And she says, this is the Lord's doing. This one thing I want you to know that's very remarkable in what Naomi says, she attributes all of this to God, and she doesn't question, she doesn't complain. In her mind, this is something that they've brought upon themselves. God has dealt bitterly with me. But look at the way she says it. I went away full and the Lord brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me. The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Naomi says that God has brought her to ruin. God did this. You want to know why you shouldn't call me Naomi anymore? Because not even God deals pleasantly with me. But he has made my lot bitter. Naomi is a woman entirely without hope. She had just enough to get back to Bethlehem. But now that she's here, now that she's face to face with all the people, with all the questions we see it Laid bare. she has no hope for the future. She has made her guilt and her bitterness and her suffering her identity. Right? That's what she's doing. Change my name. I'm not who I was anymore. Now everything about me is wrapped up in this bitter lot that God has dealt me. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. That's all that she thinks she is and that's how she thinks she needs to be known among her people. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like you were abandoned by God? Perhaps even that you deserved it? Been in a situation so dark where you could not see any way forward that offered any promise at all. Have you ever been where Naomi is here? Maybe you've never felt that kind of smothering darkness in your life, but maybe you felt it in a particular area before. Maybe there's been a a section of your life, a part of your life where, where things have gone terribly wrong, where maybe you feel like you've messed things up without any hope of repair and you found yourself in a hopeless situation. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your parenting. Maybe it's in your sexual purity. Maybe it's in your witness to your coworkers, to your friends, to your neighbors, but there's that one little sliver of life where you say, I may not feel like Naomi everywhere, but I feel like her right there. What hope is there? What would you say to you? What would, what would you say to Naomi if you were in Bethlehem? Would you encourage her to realize that her situation, it's, it's really not so bad, Naomi. I mean, yeah, it's rough, but don't change your name. and it, it's, It'll be okay. It's not that bad. Would you assure her that this wasn't God's doing? You know, don't blame God. He surely would never do anything like this. He'd never take you down a road like that. He loves you. But the troubling thing is, Naomi's not wrong. This is the situation she finds herself in. She's not wrong, but in her suffering, she's a lot like us. She's not wrong, but she's also not seeing the whole picture. She's seeing with very narrow vision into the truth that, that is her life right now, but she's not seeing anything beyond that. She believes that God's primary purpose is punishment for her and that he has brought her back empty. Or that's her statement. I went away full. He has brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me. Right? This is vindication. It is punishment. It is judgment for what me and my family did. And he's brought calamity upon me. She says, God's lot for me is judgment. That's what he's doing in my life. And I have nothing to show for it. His primary purpose is punishment. And he's brought me back empty. Well, as the great theologian Luke Skywalker would say, that's amazing. Every word that you just said is wrong. It's not true. She wasn't completely empty. Right? She had a rather remarkable daughter-in-law with her. I wonder how Ruth felt when she heard Naomi say this some of the time. Like, I'm standing right here. And I'm sure she understood the emptiness. She understood the weight. She understood the guilt. But isn't that like us when we're suffering? When we feel like God has stripped his blessings away, we often become blind to the ones that are standing right next to us. I mean, think back to last week to this declaration that we saw Ruth. That we saw God transform her. This, this, this call, this declaration of loyalty to Naomi and to her God. God has taken this foreign pagan woman and brought her to faith and salvation. He's bringing her into his people. And beyond that, he's starting something. He's starting a story that is beyond what we could fathom with Ruth. She has a part to play that is bigger than Naomi ever could have dreamed. God's ultimate purpose in what had happened to Naomi was not judgment. Judgment. God's ultimate purpose was the salvation of Ruth, the birth of a royal line, and his ultimate plan to redeem humanity from its sins. That's all, just that little thing. That's what God was working in the life of Naomi. Pastor and theologian Sinclair Ferguson says it this way He said, We can never say that there is a simple equation in Naomi's life. She sinned, therefore she is suffering. God's ultimate purpose has not been to punish her for her family's spiritual failures in abandoning the land and the promises. Rather, through the mysterious intermingling of his providential control over history with Naomi's family's failures, the Lord's purpose has been to reach through her life and bring Ruth to himself. You follow what Pastor Ferguson says there? He says his ultimate purpose wasn't judgment. His ultimate purpose was to take His sovereign control of all things and Ruth's family's failures and in mysterious ways beyond our comprehension, order all of those things so that through Naomi, Ruth would come to know him and Ruth would be pulled into his people, into his family and have a hope and a future. When you're suffering, your greatest danger is not that you will realize just how terrible your circumstances are. Remember, that, that's our inclination is to say, it's not that bad, right? Because if we can convince someone who's suffering it's not that bad, then their outlook will be better and they'll, they'll be more positive. The, the biggest danger that you have is not that you will come face-to-face with how bad it is. Your greatest danger is that you will interpret everything else about the universe through the lens of your circumstances. <coughs> the danger is not that you'll come face-to-face with your circumstances. The danger is that you will use your circumstances as the lens through which you see everything else. And you will get God wrong when you do that. Because God is bigger than those circumstances. He is the author of all things. He is the sovereign one. And he is doing things in and through your life that you can't even fathom that may impact people 500 years from now. You say, well, that seems like a little much, DJ. I mean, really? Naomi would have said the same thing. (gasps) Naomi would have said... Yeah, this is going to produce the Messiah? It did. It does. Don't look with tunnel vision just at your suffering, just at your emptiness, just at your bitterness. But look beyond and know that God, who gives promises, is still on the throne, is still faithful, is still at work. Don't be tempted to tell somebody it's not that bad. It might be that bad. And the Bible never, ever takes that approach. Find me a spot in the scripture where pain and suffering come up and the Bible says, chin up, step forward, just get over it, don't don't worry about it, it's not that big of a deal. The Bible never minimizes or brushes off suffering and pain. It acknowledges that it's true and that it is shattering. Read the Psalms, go to the depths, see the full picture of, of how brokenness can just, break, and shatter a life. The Bible never ignores it. It never minimizes it. It never brushes it off. But what it does is it adds something further. It says, but wait, there's more. This is not everything. Naomi's situation was horrible. It would do no one any good to say, Naomi, it's really not that horrible. It was. It was awful. But it was not comprehensive. It did not define her. And it was not final. Anytime you're tempted to think, did this suffering define her? So what does does she ask everybody to do? Call me Mara. My name's not Naomi. My name is Mara. God has dealt bitterly with me. Well, the divine narrator of the story does not grant her request. She's still Naomi through the rest of the passage. This does not define her. And it's not the final word on her life. She was empty, yes. But we see a glimmer of hope in verse 22 that her emptiness was expectant. Her bitter lot was pregnant with hope. You see, the chapter ends in verse 22 with a summary statement. And every bit of this statement is consequential. I want you to pay attention to every word of verse 22 because it matters. And we're we're tempted to see verse 22 and kind of brush it off. All right, well, let's just get on with the story. But I want you to keep in mind, 99% of the original audience that heard this story heard it either read or told. They didn't read it themselves. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Dave reminded us that this story was passed down orally for generations before it was ever written down. And even once it was written down, most of the people didn't have a copy of the Bible on a scroll in their house. In fact, most of the people were illiterate. They couldn't read even if they had one. So most people that heard this story would have heard it told to them. Would have heard it read to them. And because of that, this first chapter ends with a summary statement. The author is summarizing what is notable about the current situation as we head into the bulk of the story. Because really, Ruth 1 is the intro. We're we're setting the table. And so the the author, the narrator here is reminding us, here's what you need to know as we start into chapter 2. What does the narrator point out? First, Naomi returned. Verse 22, so Naomi returned. She returned empty. She returned with a bitter lot. But she returned. She came home. She heard that the Lord had visited his people with food and with just a glimmer of hope, the faintest speck. She went back. That despair that she felt did not overcome the, the tiniest glimmer of hope and faith that we had, that she had. God can do amazing things with but a bit of faith, right? Jesus himself said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can overthrow mountains. Not because it's like, you know, you're, it's like a Jedi superpower, like I used to think when I was like eight, like if I believe hard enough, that mountain's going to move over there. It never worked. But because God can do anything beyond what we can ask or imagine. And he says, put your faith not in you, not in your circumstances, put it in me. And even if it's just a tiny glimmer like Naomi has, and it causes her to come home. Second, she had Ruth, her Moabite daughter-in-law, with her. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. What an unlikely character in the story of the people of Israel. A foreigner, an enemy, right? Remember back to the intro that Dave gave a couple weeks ago, the Moabites were not just foreigners, they were enemies to the people of God. They had tried to, to destroy them when they came into the promised land. And now one of the enemies is going to be in a, in a central role in the story. Amazing what God is doing. And she is only a part of the story because of the journey, in pain, the journey of pain and loss that Naomi went on. Naomi doesn't go on that journey. Ruth doesn't enter the story. Ruth, her Moabite daughter-in-law, came with her. Third, they returned, Ruth returned, from the country of Moab. This is where you might, you might think, well, it sounds a little repetitive, right? Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Well, if you're a Moabite, that's kind of where you returned from, right? Thanks, narrator. He's making a point. This is emphasis. Anytime you see repetition of something in Scripture, think emphasis. Think Important. Ruth returned from the country of Moab. This should draw your mind back to what we read last week, to that remarkable declaration of love, of loyalty, of faith. Your God shall be my God. I'm coming with you. And nothing but death is changing that. This Moabite woman had been converted. And she was someone that God was building into a truly remarkable woman for his glory. Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, returned from the country of Moab. And finally, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now, this isn't just a a marker of time. like This isn't the equivalent of him saying, and so when they made it back to Bethlehem, it was in September. It It is a marker of time, but it's more than that. It's a word of hope, right? Because for 10 plus years, there hasn't been a barley harvest in Bethlehem. And now there is. What had been dry, parched, and barren, God was about to make full once more. And that's the picture that we're about to see beautifully illustrated in Naomi's life, in Ruth's life, in the story of Ruth. Because of the promises of God to his people, there is no emptiness you will ever experience that is not pregnant with the hope of God's rich and infinite blessing. Let me say that again. Because of the promises of God to his people, you, me, there is no emptiness you will ever experience that is not pregnant with the hope of God's rich and infinite blessing. Every single one. That's the promise of the text here. Now, this isn't the crass material hope of the prosperity gospel, right? If you get cancer this week, I can't stand here and tell you that in a year you're going to be healed and you're going to have a private jet to fly around with. Like, God doesn't always restore materially in this life. He does sometimes, and the Bible's full of stories like that. He did it for Job, he does it in the life of others. Ruth is going to be, and Naomi are going to be full by the time that this story is over. But he never promises material fulfillment, he never promises material things. What he promises is something far beyond that, far beyond what we could ever ask for. You have an eternal hope. You have the promise of a future with Jesus where every tear will be wiped away from your eye. You have a promise of that. Everything sad will become untrue. God is working for something more glorious than you could ever ask or imagine. So don't limit your view of blessing. Don't limit your view of richness, of fullness, to just what you can see and taste and touch. You have an eternal hope. You have an eternal promise. I want you to listen to how it is spoken by Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 16 through 25. And he uses language here to point to our eternal hope and to acknowledge the groaning, the pain, the suffering that we feel, the weight of this world. He says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That is the promise that is laid before you that your groanings, that, that tension that you feel when you turn on the news and see some, something else has gone horribly wrong this week. That tension that you feel when that loved one passes away. That tension that you feel every time you think about that relationship in your life that's been cut off, that's been broken, that's been shattered. That tension that you feel, that groaning will one day burst forth in glory. God has no wasted moments. He has no wasted storylines. There are no plot threads that don't go anywhere. Everything finds its fulfillment in Christ. That is a promise. Cling to that. When you are lost in darkness and grief and you want to change your name tomorrow because that's the only thing that fits, remember that is not the end of your story. If you are in Christ, you are promised more, infinitely more than you can ever ask or imagine. And that is the promise that is alive in the life of Ruth and Naomi. That's what God is doing here in chapter 1. And that same promise is held out to us today. It's held out to us in a way that is bigger than Naomi and Ruth could have imagined, in a way that's beyond what Naomi and Ruth could have imagined. I could not think of a better way to say this, to communicate this idea, than was communicated by an Australian pastor and scholar named Barry Webb. And so I'm just going to read this from Pastor Webb and use this to kind of bring our, our time here home. He, he, this was his reflection on the end of chapter one of the book. He says, this part of the book of Ruth is a going away and coming back story. And going away and coming back is part of the rhythms of life. It's also a part of the rhythm of scripture. There are many such stories in the Bible. Abraham goes away to Egypt and he comes back. Jacob flees to Syria and he returns. The people of Jerusalem go into exile in Babylon and they come back. In the New Testament, the prodigal son goes away from his father's house and he comes home again. In fact, the whole Bible is such a story. It's about the entire human race going away from God and his great plan of salvation to bring them back again. And at the center of that plan is our Lord Jesus Christ. And the good news that calls us back is about something else that God has done in Bethlehem. Not just for those who live there, but for all of us, whoever we are, and however far we are from God. It's a new and infinitely greater gospel than the one that Naomi heard and that turned her thoughts to home. And it's an open invitation to all of us. Come home. Come home to the God who made you and loves you and is the only one who can fill your emptiness and meet your deepest need. Come back empty. Come back with only small expectations if that's all you have. Come back bitter if you must, but come back. You may have been away 10 years as Naomi was. It's too long. So is one year or one month or even one day, for we were made for God and our true home, our only place of true wholeness is with him. That's the message of our first chapter of this journey that we've seen Naomi on. Ultimately, it's come back. Come home and wait and see what God might do. Next week, we're going to begin chapter two, and we're going to start to see the story unfold. We're going to see the new character that gets introduced. We're going to see how God is beginning to weave a plan of redemption through these two broken women. But in, verse, in chapter one, as we close up here, don't miss the fact that the story starts when Naomi comes home. And that's the invitation that God gives to all of us. Hear the good news out of Bethlehem. God has provided living bread, the bread of life, from which you will eat and never hunger again. Come home. Come home to Jesus Christ, to the new and better gospel. So what do we do with this? How do you go and meet your day based on what you've heard this morning? A few questions. First, in what part of your life has your story ended up in a place you didn't hope for? Are you believing that's where your story ends? Or do you trust that God is still writing? That he's still working? Do you need to be reminded of that this morning? In some area of your life, God is not done. Do not mistake chapter one for the end of the book. Because your promise is an inexplicable future in glory. And you don't know what God's doing on the way there. Are you making your lowest point your identity? Are you defining yourself by your wounds, your guilt, your emptiness, your bitterness? Or are you believing what God has said is true? Naomi says, I am Mara, that is what I am. God says, no, it's not. Not fully. It's not where I'm leaving you. It's not the truest thing about you. Where do you need to hear that this morning? Where do you need to see beyond the blinders that have you focused just on your circumstances, just on your suffering? Where do you need to stop using those circumstances as the lens in which you interpret everything God is doing in the world and in your life? Do you see that your emptiness is expectant? Do you look for God to do more from it than you can imagine? And do you look outside yourself at what God is doing in those around you? That's a huge temptation and suffering, right? When things are going poorly, I I find it very, very hard to see beyond myself. I'm the most important thing. Woe is me. I think of Elijah all the time whenever we think about this. Oh, woe is me. He's killed all the prophets and I'm the only one left, God. Elijah gets so turned in on himself. He can't see beyond his own face. Are you like that when you suffer? God calls you realize that he's at work. He's at work in the people around you. He might be at work in the people around you by what you're going through, by your suffering. You never know. So trust in his promises. Trust in his plan. Trust in his goodness and see that whatever emptiness you're experiencing, it's expectant. It's producing hope. And then finally, and the most important question, have you come home? God is writing a tremendous story in the lives of his people, in the lives of Christians, in the lives of believers. We're going to see that tremendous story that he writes in Bethlehem in the life of Naomi and in the life of Ruth, but that story doesn't get written until you come home. God calls you, lay aside your sin. You might be suffering because it is your own doing, You might have put yourself in that bad position. You might say, like Naomi, the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me and I deserve it. And maybe you do. But he still says, come home. He's not leaving you there. He sent Jesus Christ, his only son, into the world to bear that judgment, to bear that mess. You wanna know how you can know that God is never, his purpose ultimately in your life is never judgment and retribution if you're in Christ because he's already spent that on Jesus. Christ has already taken it for you. And so you can look to him before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written in his heart. And I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. That's the story. That's the hope. Come to Jesus. Put your faith in that one who pleads your case to the father and begin to see the story that God may write. You sit here this morning and you say, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know where to begin. Let's talk. Talk to me. Talk to the person who brought you here. Talk to, to Pastor Dave, to Pastor Tom. Let's have a conversation. What's it mean to follow Jesus? To have faith, to repent, to believe. The invitation is for you. Come home. And next week, we're going to come back here We're gonna open up chapter two and we're gonna be able to see how God starts bringing Naomi back from the brink. How he begins using this Moabite daughter-in-law, this widow that he brought back with her to weave a story that ultimately ends in a manger in Bethlehem. What a God we serve. Let's glorify him as we continue to sing this morning and let's glorify him in the way we respond to this text. Pray with me. Our God and Father, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you that even in the dark, when we cannot trace your hand, we can trust your heart, the same heart that has not withheld your own son from us. How will you not freely give us all things? Father, I pray that you will mold and shape in us that kind of faith, a hope that's not based on what we see, but a hope that's fixed in eternity and glory in the thing that you are preparing now that all creation groans with expectation for, Father, may we see rightly may we feel rightly may we interpret all things, not through our circumstances but through your word, through your promises through your truth, help us in that God, we are weak, this does not come naturally, and I pray for any who are here this morning, who feel the sting of suffering, who feel the emptiness and the bitterness that Naomi feels here, Father, may you come with comfort to them May you give assurance that your right hand has not left them, that you hem them in on all sides. God, I pray for those here, for any who would say, I still need to come home. God, I pray that your spirit would work in hearts, that he would draw men and women and children to himself, that you would convict of sin, that you would help us to leave it behind and to come back, to come back broken, to come back empty, to come back bitter, but to come back home to the God who made us and the God who offers salvation and hope and a future. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And God, as we walk through the day today, may we be a people who are not made uncomfortable by suffering because we know where the story ends. Give us a hope that is unshakable, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a peace that passes all understanding. Make us gloriously bizarre for the sake of your son and his kingdom. And give us a hope that is fixed in what we cannot see, but we know one day we shall lay hold of. God, in all these things, I thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior.